to Revelation, the 12th chapter. And guys, I want to change that to verse 11. I want to change it to verse 11. If there was a thought or a theme this morning, it would be entitled, A Bump in the Road. A Bump in the Road. How many can relate to bumps, bruises, and bad times? The artist was a slave trader. He had several ships that every year they made their way to South Africa. And there his crew robbed wives of their husbands, children of their fathers, and threw the slaves into the hold of their ship sailed to England, sold them on the market. His name was John Newton. John Newton wandered into a tent, revival, gave his heart to God, turned his life around, sold all of his ships, got rid of the past, and began to preach the gospel. One day, walking home from a meeting, he passed by a pub, which is in England, a bar, and he heard a familiar song, a beer-drinking song, and walking down the road to the tune of that beer-drinking song, he birthed and wrote these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That has probably become the most popular Christian song in the world today. It's recognized all over the world by the good and the bad, the heathen and the heaven bound. The second part of that verse says, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me on. When I think about the dangers, the toils, and the snares, that we encounter daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. There is a a window that God begins to open, begins to reveal himself to us, sometimes through our tragedies and our trials and our tears, but sometimes just, just in life. No one ever said that life was fair. The country western song says, I beg your pardon, I never promised you a rose garden. However, when you're where God wants you to be and you're doing what God wants you to do, we depend upon and we trust and we appreciate the sovereign help that he gives us and he brings us. You are where you're at right now because God has a purpose and a destiny and a place for you. And I've wandered through the page of God's holy word, and I want to, I'll bring attention to some of those, but it seems as if every one of God's champions in one way or another, had a snag in their life, had a bump in the road. And I believe that each one of them was, was going through or passing a test. When you pass the test, you get the testimony. Revelation 12 and 11 says that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony and by the power of the blood. So you may regret or you may not appreciate where you've been or what you've done. But God, through Joseph, made this statement. What the enemy intended for evil, God has worked it for your good. 
And when you begin to realize that you're not the only person that has gone through or is going through what you're going through, and you realize there's a, there's a camaraderie, there's a fellowship, there's a congregation, there are others that have been where you're at, or there are others that need to get where you're at, is that, if that helps anybody, and the world, the city, the, the bench at the car wash is full of needy people. And they need what you have. They need what you know. They need what you've experienced. They need what you have gone through. When I look at the Bible, I look at all the great heroes, and Hebrews 11 talks about all the great heroes, and it talks about Noah, and Noah built an ark. And, but it also tells us that Noah was so depressed after the ark landed that he planted the vineyard, fermented the grape, and got drunk. In Hebrews 11, God never holds that against Noah, but it counts him to be a worthy, a healthy, a wholesome man. When I think of Noah, I also think of, about Abraham, the, the father of the Jewish nation who out of his loins was raised up, Isaac. And we see that Abraham in a time of fear because his wife was so beautiful and he was afraid the king was going to kill him to take his wife that he lied and said that his wife was his sister, which was a half-truth because she was a half-sister. Isaac also, like his dad, had a beautiful wife journeying through the land. He had to lie about his wife and declare that it was his sister. And then we look at the life of Jacob. Jacob, through his mom's help, deceived his dad, stole his brother's birthright, found himself in a strange land, but the Bible says that Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and he still called that today. When I look at David, the little darling, the, the, the sling, the one that defeated Goliath, the one that cut his head off with the enemy's sword, we see that David, in a season of depression, not sleeping right, staying up late at night, should have been in bed asleep, he wasn't, saw something he shouldn't have seen, went after something that wasn't his, and paid a horrible price, lost the, the life of his child. But we read in the book of Psalms, David declares, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When I think about Hezekiah, a king that was not godly, a king that had godly parents but had turned away from his heritage and his lineage, the, the word says that God sent Isaiah to Hezekiah to tell him, number your days, get your house in order, your life has come to an end. Isaiah leaves the courtyard, Hezekiah turns his face towards the wall, calls out to God, and God tells Isaiah, I've changed my mind, go tell him that he has 14 more years. When I think of the of the legacy or the heritage or the lineage of Jonah. I, I'm remind, reminded of so many effective evangelists today on television, radio, that are touching the world. They're blessing thousands. I think of Jonah. Jonah's ministry had the ability to change cities. When Jonah went and the anointing began to preach repentance, entire cities would come to know God, would turn their life around and be restored. We know that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. We're not exactly sure why he didn't want to go, but he didn't want to go. He disobeyed God and got in a ship sailing in the opposite direction. And I don't know if he had a toddy for the body. I don't know if he had a social drink, whatever, but he was so asleep that when the storm came and rocked the boat, he slept right through it. They had to wake him up and say, Jonah, what's going on? And Jonah told them, I have I have disobeyed. I have failed God. You need to throw me out into the ocean. And they said, Jonah, well, it's a storm. We throw you out. You're going to die. He said, well, better me die than you die. And so sure enough, they loaded him up, pushed him off the side, threw him in the ocean. And the Bible says that God had prepared a fish. 
And in all of my endeavors, I have never, ever caught a whale. But I plan to. I think about this whale that swallowed Jonah. And the Bible says for three days and three nights that Jonah lived in the belly of the whale. I don't know if you've ever gutted a fish or you've ever seen the inside of a fish, but it's all yucky, it's all green, it's all cruddy. And Jonah laid in that, the belly's acids for three days. I imagine that by the time that, that whale burped him out and threw him up on the beach, I can just imagine Jonah, hello, his skin is dyed green by the acids in the whale's belly. His hair has a bunch of seaweed right here. And as he walks out of that ocean up to that that Nineveh fisherman and says, repent, I think the Nineveh fisherman repented. God always has a way of turning bad into good. I think of Moses. Moses obviously pulled out of the river, raised in Pharaoh's house for 40, 40 years lived as a, as, a, as a lord, as a king, as a prince. He made a mistake, killed a man, lived 40 years in hiding, and then spent the last 40 years of his life leading God's people into the promised land. I think of Samson, a great warrior, powerful, incredible. When you read the exploits of Samson, picking up city gates and carrying them, killing a thousand men in, in, in one afternoon, what a man he was. But Samson, again, laid his head where it should not have been, and for his sin, his eyes were, they were burnt. He was tied to the pillars of the temple. But on that day, the Bible says, Samson prayed, God, let me feel your presence just one more time. And what a wonderful statement, what a wonderful testimony. The power of God came upon Samson. He pulled the pillars down, and that day he killed more Philistines in that day than he had in his entire life. When I think of Romans 11th chapter and the 29th verse, I think the guys are going to pull that up there for you. Romans 11, 29. It said, for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. The King James is very poetic sometimes in his presentation and almost appears to present a double negative here. But what Paul is saying in the book of Romans is that God is not sorry that he put a call, a mark, an anointing on your life. He's not sorry. And what's even more encouraging is that God knew that somewhere in your life there would be a bump in the road. I cannot blame my drug addiction on a bad home, a bad family, no money, lack of education. I came from a very healthy family. I went to a great school, graduated, went on to college. It was not my environment that, that turned me towards the things of darkness. It was peer pressure. As I look back and share my testimony, every, every addiction beginning with tobacco and ending with cocaine, everything I did was prompted by a friend or a pal or a buddy or someone that, that I hung out with. Every area of my life, it seemed like there was someone else that led me. I'm not blaming them. I mean, I was gullible enough to go. But as I look, I realize it's important that you surround yourself with people that will encourage you, bless you, build you up, pray for you, support you, love you, accept you. Not someone's going to drag you down or drag you away. At a very, very early age, I believe 8, 9, 10 years of age, I remember sensing the power of God in the youth camps that we would go to once a year. And then a little older in life, going to some teen camps and felt the power of God and felt the hand of God. And I remember there was a particular service that we were in a, in a conference and a lifelong friend, Johnny Bunch, was 
preaching, and I remember he called all the kids up on the platform, and it seemed, Pastor Ronnie, you were there with me, it seemed like in that service that God just allowed his glory, his anointing to let it rain. And, and like this morning, it was so thick, it was like you could almost cut it with a chainsaw, just, just levels of anointing. And I, I remember that presence of God in my life. And then there was a, a journey where I tried to find something that would replace or match or equal the anointing and the favor and the Holy Spirit. But I learned there ain't no high like a Holy Ghost high. There's no drug. There's no alcohol. There's no mixed drink. I don't care if it's a white whale. No mixed drink that can bring on the presence and the power and the provision of God. And as I look back and I see all the dumb things I did and all the stupid things I'm involved in and all the, all, the, all the acts of defiance and rebellion, God knew when he called me 15 years of age into ministry, he knew that there would be a bump in the road. He knew that there would be a danger, a toil, a snare. He knew that I would drop the ball. But what he assures me in Romans that he is not sorry that he called me and he's not sorry that he called you. He's not sorry that his hand's upon me. He's not sorry that his hand is upon you. And I'm going to tell you, girls, if God, and there, it, 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 there wasn't a way that we could do that, I would have liked to have done that. But if God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And yesterday, as you were brought before his presence, people were praying for you. God said, those are my girls. That's my house. That's my family. Those are my children. That's who I sent my son to die for. The speckled and the spotted. It's not that speckled and spotted are weird. It's not that they're freaked out. But there are those that had a call of God in their life. And the enemy has tried to raise hell, put us in hell, destroy us, bring hell into our life so that we would miss the purpose and plan of God. But aren't you glad this morning that you're right where you're supposed to be? Aren't you glad you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing? And don't you know that the end is always greater than the beginning? The, our best days are ahead. I'm telling you, our most anointed, blessed days are ahead because God prophesied it, God planned it, and that's the way it rolls. Jeremiah was an incredible prophet. He was so sensitive to the things of God that, that he had tear ducts down the side of his face where he cried and wept and he prayed for God's people. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah, the 18th chapter, I believe the guys are going to pull that up. If you'll give me just a minute, I will go there. Kind of a, an interesting commission. God tells Jeremiah in Jeremiah 18 and 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. And so he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Interesting story. Right in the middle of Jeremiah's prophecy about restoration, healing, and revival, Jeremiah begins to address the good, the bad, and the ugly of that generation of God's purpose and plan. And God tells Jeremiah, I want to give you, I want to give you an object lesson. I want, you to, I want you to see something. I want you to bring something to the attention in, in your writing. And so the Bible says that when Jeremiah went to where the potter's house was, the potter was working on a piece of clay. And while that clay was in the potter's hands, it became marred. 
And so the potter took great trouble and great, great difficulty and made the vessel even better than he had originally intended for it to be. Many of us sometimes in our life felt like, well, I was in God's will. I was serving God. I was going to church. And we learned that bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to bad people. Bad things just happen. It seemed like when Adam and Eve dropped the ball in the garden, there's been 6,000 years of wild and crazy things going on, crazy stuff going on. And here, this piece of clay in the potter's hands was dropped. It was, it was, it was disfigured. It was marred. And so God took that marred, disfigured piece of clay, and he made it prettier. He made it more approachable, more, more available, more, more enduring. And I believe each one of us, as we begin to relate to some of the things that we have gone through, as we begin to relate, we felt like this sometimes that we were dropped or we were misused. Maybe there was an abortion. Maybe there was a miscarriage. Maybe there was a, maybe there was a drug, an alcohol, a, a jail, a prison sentence. Maybe it was a divorce and all the things attached to being a single mom. But here's what God said. When I called you from the mother's womb, I knew there would be a bump in the road. I knew there would be a negative. I knew there'd be a hurt. I knew there would be a pain because you're the apple of my eye. You're in the palm of my hand. I've got you safe. I've got you where I want you to be. But I'm going to allow you to make some decisions on your own. And hopefully, like the prodigal son, right there in the middle of the pig slop, you'll realize this is not what I was destined for. This is not what I was purposed. 30 days in the hole is not God's itinerary for me. Hello. He never intended for me to spend an hour in jail. He never intended for me to waste thousands of dollars on drugs. That was not his intention. But he allowed me to step out of that nest and make decisions of my own. And thank God everyone in this house was smart enough to realize I can't do it without the Lord. I cannot make it. I cannot turn things around without the Lord. I need him in my life. I need his help in my life. And that's where we're at today. There was a famous expression. I don't know that we have ever had what's called a testimony service. But being raised in the church of God, I remember there were times when every once in a while, dad would give opportunity for someone to testify. And there was some, some of them thought that they were wannabe preachers, and when they got the moment to testify, they just preached a sermon. So you never knew where the testimony service was going to go. But I remember the most, the most popular colloquialism, the most popular phrase that came out of most Christians' mouth was, I'm saved, sanctified, help me, and filled with heaven's sweet Holy Ghost. That just seemed to be, I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with heaven's sweet Holy Ghost. I think, Keith, sometimes the church gets to a place where they are saved, sanctified, and satisfied. I think sometimes we get in a rut of, a rut of complacency and a, and a rut of just, this is the way it is, this is the way it's going to be. Let me, let me tell you something. Jesus didn't save you to be saved. Jesus saved, he didn't save you to be safe. Jesus saved you to be dangerous. And the same call that was on the disciples that followed him is the same call that's available to, to you and I today. But it's not about being saved, sanctified, and safe. It's about saved, sanctified, and dangerous. Will it cost something? When you look at the disciples, and again, God knew they would drop the ball. God knew they would all abandon his son at the cross. 
God knew what they were, but still God put a purpose and a plan and a call upon their life. He told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations three times. They were encouraged to do that. The Bible said they, in Acts 15, they literally turned the church upside down with their ministry. They performed miracles. They raised the dead. They saw great, incredible things happen. But let me tell you where every one of them wound up, if you'll just allow me a moment. James was thrust through the sword and bled to death. Luke was hanged by the neck like a wrestler until he died. Thomas was burned alive. Philip was tortured and then crucified. Matthew was stabbed in the back in Jerusalem. Bartholomew was beaten to death with clubs. The other James was thrown off the temple. The 100-foot fall did not kill him, so they clubbed him to death. Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks. Matthew was stoned to death. Peter was crucified upside down with his wife, and John was boiled in oil and then sent to the Isle of Patmos to live out the last of his life. Somewhere around the 1940s and the 1950s, there was a transition or a kind of a new approach to the gospel. And the, the approach became known as the, the latter day of the latter rain movement and it was based upon the fact of all the good things that happen to you when you give your heart to God. All the good things that take place when you are serving the Lord and then we got into this prosperity message and I absolutely believe in prosperity but I'm not sure that prosperity is two Rolexes and two Bentleys. I'm not sure that prosperity is living in a, uh, a, a mansion on the hilltop. I'm not sure uh, the world's definition of prosperity, but there seemed to be a, a time in the church where bad things did not happen to good people, that we prospered, we were blessed, we were, whatever we spoke we got, and whatever area that we were focused in, that was the area that, that we were blessed with. And I believe that, I believe to, 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 some, to some level, I think some of us have not really considered the cost or have embraced the, the cost of serving God. Again, once you're saved, you're not going to hell, you're going to heaven. Once you're sanctified, your life is holy and, and, and almost without spot. And then once you're satisfied, there's nothing in you that would pursue you or, or help you pursue the, the goal or the mark or the place that God has for you. He said, I knew every word you would say. I knew everything that you would speak, everything that you would think. I've got great, in Jeremiah 33, I've got great and incredible and phenomenal plans for you. But how many times do we withdraw ourselves from the race, how many times we draw ourselves from that place of maturity and we miss everything that God has for us because we just backed off, because we became satisfied where we were. I don't think God ever intended for us to be satisfied. I remember uh, as a very young age, our, our family's best friend had three girls. My brother and I were, uh, we, we were under, raised under my mom and dad. And almost every summer, we would do something with this family. This family was quite wealthy, and uh, they always seemed to have the latest ski boat, the latest motorhome, and uh, they always took us to the nicest restaurants. They were just really a major blessing in our life. But I remember my brother and I both uh, learned how to water ski at, when we were on a vacation. And I remember the water skiing went to a wakeboard, and then one year they got a boat that had a bar in the middle that went out the side of the boat about 8 or 10 foot, and that was called the barefoot pole. 
and the barefoot pole was you held onto that bar and they hit the, they hit the boat and you, the, the boat dragged you until you got to 32 miles an hour and then you pulled yourself up, swung it around and then holding on the bar, you just step and, and you held onto the bar and that's how you learned how to water ski. Okay, I'm not telling you once, I'm not telling you twice, I'm telling you probably over a hundred times that I tried a barefoot water ski. Everybody else in the boat g gave up and they were mad because I wanted to try. One time, the water was so serious, it ripped my bathing suit off and it was down there at my ankles, but I managed to save my dignity and my bathing suit. But Keith, I, I, I remember it seemed like every time I set my feet and I, I would get wasted. I set my feet and get wasted. But then the one time that my feet planted and I was barefooting, it was worth every single effort that I failed, every time that I, that I, that I did a face plant, every time that I, that I flipped over and over again, it was worth it all because I accomplished what I set out to do. There are goals. There are, there are, there's directions. We've, we, we've taught you. Take, take little goals. Take little, little challenges. See them through. Reward yourself when you, when you see that happen. And know that, God, if you can do it in the, in, the, in the embryo, you'll certainly be able to do it when you are birthed in the kingdom of all that God has for you. Would somebody say, oh, man, oh, me, oh, my, in this house. If you go with me to Revelation, the first chapter, and the sixth verse, and I am done. Again, I believe that God saves us and restores us and blesses us so that we can be used to save, restore, and bless somebody else. There, is, there seems to be, if you will watch for it and look for it, it seems that almost daily there is an opportunity for you to share your testimony with somebody that's where you're at, somebody that's where you've been, and they don't know how to get free. The word declares that all of us shall lay hands upon the sick and they shall recover. We pray for things that are bound and they are loose and they are free, that God has given us that little, that little extra anointing, that little extra energy that he wants us to operate in. If you'll notice in Revelation 1, verse 6, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. One more time. And hath made us, look at your neighbor and say, I'm, I'm an us. Kings and priests and to God his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. In the book of Revelation, the Lord is talking to the churches of that day and to the generation of that day and has told that, that church in that generation that God has called them into the ministry of priesthood or kingship. And I want to lump everybody in this sanctuary, everybody listening by Facebook, I want to lump all of us into one of two categories. You are either operating in the priesthood, which brings God glory, or you're operating in kingship, which brings the church dominion. What are you saying, Pastor Hank? I'm saying that as we, as we operate in the area of prophet, priest, and king, look at somebody and say, I'm a prophet. A prophet hears from God concerning man. 
I'm a priest. Look at someone say, I'm a priest. A priest ministers to God for man. And look at somebody say, I'm a king. And the kings rule by serving. So you are one of two things in this house. There's you only be one or two. A priest is one who intercedes, prays, blesses, encourages, edifies. That, that spirit of encouragement, that spirit of blessing. A priest is someone that ministers daily to those that, that need ministering to. They can't touch God on their own. The king is called to go out, take the wealth of the wicked. Hello. Bless their family. Bless the church. When God gave them three, five, three, and one, they went out. They took the talent. They doubled it. They brought it back to the things of God. So that's where God has operated us in. And if, if you are right now within the sound of my ear, and you can work for a living. God's got a job that is so crazy, that is so wonderful, that is so financially blessed. He wants you to have it. How cool is that? Yeah. If you're here today and you're interceding for somebody, keep interceding because what you're interceding about is probably going to come to pass. That was a little weak. But that's okay. In my only conclusion, I've shared this with you earlier. A hundred years ago, there was a ministry labeled or, or, or entitled one-way ministry. And what would happen is that missionaries would buy a one-way ticket to the country that they intended to invest their life in. And Sherry, instead of putting their stuff in suitcases, they bought a coffin. And they put all their belongings in that coffin. And they sailed, saying goodbye, knowing they were never going to see their family, friends, or loved ones until heaven. There was a man by the name of A.W. Milne, 100 years ago, accepted the call of God to be a missionary, an island in the South Pacific. He took all of his possessions he put them, Nicole, in a, in a coffin, and then he sailed on those big freight liners to this little island, knowing that this island was notorious for headhunters. And every missionary that had ever gone to this island had been murdered. He knew that going in. He wasn't sure whether he would live a day, a week, or a month. But that's what he felt God called him to do, to go to this island. God gave him favor with that village. And for 35 years, he preached the gospel, surrounded by those who wanted to hear it. Village was transformed. The village was, their, their lives were gloriously changed. 35 years of ministry, he dies. In April, they put his body in that coffin and they buried him right in the middle of the village. And Melinda, over his coffin, there was a sign that said this. When he came, there was no light. But when he left, there was no darkness. Every head is bowed. You may today feel burnout, wore out, stressed. You may feel like that 
you're too bad, you've messed up too much, there can never be any favor. But if you're feeling that today, then you're a candidate for God's call and God's purpose and God's plan. It's always been the flawed personalities. It's always been the flawed reputation. After all, his son came, conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the world had another word for his mom and for him. If you've encountered an obstacle and you have overcome it, that is a trophy that God gives you to be used to minister to others. Your best days are ahead. If you're here this morning and you're not where you need to be with the Lord and you have wandered away from the things of God, God has touched you and spoken to you in, in the worship, in the word, in the testimony. Pastor Hank, don't embarrass me. Don't bring attention to me. I've wandered away from God. And I need to get back to that place that I used to be. I need to get back to that place I need to be. And to get back to that place I want to be. But that's where you're at this morning. Just put your hand up. Put it back down. One. Yes, is there another one? Wow. God sees the hands. More importantly, God sees the heart. Can we pray? Father, you've told us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you've told us that the wages of sin are death, but eternal life is your gift. You've told us that whosoever shall call upon your name shall be saved. And you said that if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Christ lived, he died, he rose from the grave, and is returning, that we could be born again. Father, we bring, like the prodigal son, we bring the stench of the world. We bring the vomit. We bring all the, all the things of the past that we were attached to. And we lay it down at your feet. And we ask if there could possibly be something beautiful, something holy, something restorable, that you would look at our life and know that we are sincere today. We are serious about serving you. We're serious about not dying for you as did the 11 apostles, but living for you as John, the last apostle. Our life would be a living example. We would never take for granted the price you paid to touch us and to bless us. We declare these things in the name of Jesus. And they all said, Amen. Don't you love what God is doing, what, what God is saying? The, the word says that there is joy in the presence of a Lord when a sinner comes home. So tonight, today we know the angels are rejoicing and they're probably joining hands and singing Kumbaya. And all of heaven is applauding you and your, the two decisions for the Lord this morning. All heaven is applauding you. And you know what? All heaven's for you. All heaven's for you. Every, every promise, every provision in the word of God is for you. give a chance to uh, sow in the kingdom this morning and I did everything before 12 how cool is that uh, the word has told us that in tithe and offering God has promised to restore and repay we believe that there's a season for the tithe we believe there's a season for the offering as you would go out to eat today you would pay for the meal that would be your tithe and then you would leave a tip that would be your offering 
this week, if God has blessed you and been good to you and you had something you want to sow, if you'd lift your hand, our handsome, soon-to-be-married Pastor Todd will gladly serve you with a smile on his face. Pastor Todd was the only guy yesterday that was allowed to freely move around. And next year, I'm going to I'm going to volunteer to do what uh, Pastor Todd does, so I can.